Well, it'd be great if you could have your Bibles open back to Luke chapter 1. And tonight we're beginning a new mini Advent series in the run-up to Christmas, where we're going to embark on a journey through uh, the first chapter and maybe into the second chapter of Luke's Gospel. And my prayer as we journey through this section is that we will be able to prepare our hearts for the celebration of Christ coming into this world and for his coming once again. The big theme really of this little series is going to be getting our hearts ready to meet Jesus. Now, Luke's gospel begins in a rather surprising way because it's the biography, if you like, of Jesus, but it doesn't begin with his birth story. It begins with John the Baptist's birth story. Not normally what you would expect in the biography of Jesus, but this is a chapter, as we're going to see, full of unexpected happenings. And it begins with the story of John the Baptist because John the Baptist, of course, is the forerunner the one who was sent ahead to prepare the hearts of the people of Israel to meet Jesus. Now, what I want you to notice is as Luke begins his account in verse 5, he, he dates the events with his opening words. He says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Herod's not mentioned here because he's going to play a big role in this chapter He's mentioned here because Luke wants all of his readers to know when this took place. It took place in dark days. You might know from history, or remember from studying history at school, that Herod was known as Herod the Great. Truth be told, he was anything but great. Yes, he rebuilt the temple. Yes, he built large buildings and monuments in memory of himself. But Herod, in all reality, was a monster. He had his wife killed, three of his sons killed. We know from Matthew's gospel, he wanted all baby boys under two killed in Bethlehem. Whenever his power and authority was under threat, he sought to kill. And by beginning his narrative of John the Baptist's birth in this way, Luke wants us to feel something of the dark and the foreboding atmosphere that Jesus and John were both born into. But no sooner has Luke put us uh, put, put, in, put his passage into his historical context than he turns our attention away from Herod the despot to introduce us to this godly couple. In some ways, Mr. and Mrs. Nobody. We're told that there was a priest named Zechariah. He was of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, meaning her father also was a priest, and her name was Elizabeth. I don't know if you know this, but back in Israel in the first century, a lot of men were priests. If the population of Israel was something larger than 100,000, it's estimated that somewhere in the region of 18,000 men were priests. So everybody and their grandpa was a priest, right? That's the, the idea. So in, in some ways, this wasn't a standout couple because they were of a priestly background and because Zechariah served as a priest. But what did clearly for Luke make this a standout couple is verse 6. They were both righteous before God, 
walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now that's significant, because if you were to go back to Malachi, one of the sad realities that had befallen many of the priests in Israel was they had abandoned their calling. They were leading and living double lives. And here's Zechariah and his wife, and we get this description that they were godly, that they were faithful, that they loved to bless the name of the Lord. But then we get a verse 7, and even though they blessed the Lord, we discover that the Lord did not bless them with children. Now, this wasn't because of punishment, because they were a godly and upright couple. This was just the providence of their life. Elizabeth was barren, and they were now well on in years. Today, uh, childlessness is, is a huge burden to any married couple. But in the first century, it carried with it a lot of shame. All the Jews knew God's promise was be fruitful and multiply. And here was a ministry couple, and yet without a family. It seems, as we'll see from the very last verse that we read, that Elizabeth lived her entire life with shame and disgrace because she was childless. Up until this point, And you can imagine what their prayer life must have been. It must have been a persistent prayer life. God, please would you grant us a child. God, please would you grant us a child. God, please would you grant us a child. And you can imagine how difficult it must have been when no child was given. So here's what we know. It's a dark time. Herod's on the throne. And there's this godly couple. They're well on in years and they're childless. Now, What happens next is totally unexpected. Zechariah, with his division, the division of Abijah, were serving in the temple. Now, just so you know, so if there were 18,000 priests, it's estimated that in each division of the priesthood, there were 750 men. And every year, each division of the priesthood in Israel would get the privilege of traveling up to Jerusalem to serve for two weeks, one week at perhaps at the start of the year and then one week at the end of the year, in the temple. And their duties would include praying, reading the scriptures, but one priest of a division would be selected with the privilege of all privileges to go into the temple and pray and burn incense at the altar of incense. I don't know how old Zechariah was, but he probably had gone up to Jerusalem with his division, I don't know, 400 times? If he'd been 50 years old, would that be, I I don't know, many, many times. Maybe that's too much, is it? My math is terrible. My math is awful. Let's just say he'd gone up to the the temple lots of times. And um, the way that they would choose the man who would go into the temple to burn incense was they would cast a lot. And this time, the lot is cast and Zechariah is chosen. 
like this is the this is a huge deal. <laughs> this is a mega deal. In his ministry, he had the privilege of go, being the one to go into the temple and to pray on behalf of the nation at the altar of incense. This is what every priest in Israel dreamed of doing. And this year, it was Zechariah's turn. And you can imagine when Zechariah walked into the temple on that day, he went in with a skip in his stent, with a with a skip in his step, no doubt with a real sense of joyful anticipation. He had the privilege of praying there in the temple in the presence of God and burning incense before the Lord as a picture of his prayers going up to heaven, whilst all the people who had gathered, all the pilgrims who had gathered, would be outside praying with him. Now, if, if it was unexpected that the lot fell on him, how much more unexpected was it that as he stood at the right hand side, as he stood at the altar, that at the right side of the altar of incense, an angel appeared? Remember, for 400 years, God had been silent. And now, in his lifetime, now, in his special day of serving the Lord in this way, God, by means of the angel, shows up to him. He would not have been expecting this. Look at verse, and so look at verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, which means gift of God or grace. And the angel adds, and, and you, will be, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, where he will be great before the Lord. And don't you just feel so happy for Zechariah in this moment? This couple who'd spent their entire lives praying for a child. This day he goes into the temple. He's praying for the redemption of Israel. And no doubt as he prays there at the altar of incense, he just can't help himself to repeat a prayer he'd prayed many times. God, grant us a child. And God heard. And on this occasion, God answered. And, and the incredible thing is... God answered when he would least expect it. They were well on in years. Now, what, what is fascinating is, if you know the Bible story, you know that in the Old Testament, that in some of the big redemptive moments, that's what God loves to do. Sarah was old, childless, unable to have children. And God granted her the ability to have a child. And here again is a huge redemptive moment and God shows up and God grants Elizabeth a child. Now I want you to hear what the angel said to Zechariah. He said that this son that was to be born to them, he will be great before the Lord. Now what a contrast. Herod the Great or John the Great? Herod, who was known as a monster, 
or John, who would be known as the one who prepared the way of the Lord. Now, just as an aside, we live in a culture where everybody, not everybody, but most people are longing for greatness. Here we see that God defines greatness. And what was the life of John the Baptist? But a life of humble service for the Lord. It's interesting. The angel continues and says more about John. Verses 15 through 17. And he must not drink wine or strong wine. It's because John the Baptist was a Nazarite in the same line as Samson. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now this is unique in redemptive history. We don't hear of anyone being filled with the Holy Spirit in their mother's womb. But John the Baptist would be. Because this is the last Old Testament prophet. And he was given the Spirit of God for the purposes of God. And that was to prepare the way for the coming Son of God. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit, of, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah is told, this is what John's going to do. John is going to be engaged in a ministry where he prepares people for the Lord. And Zechariah being the expert in the Old Testament scriptures that he was, he would know that this angel is saying that his son is going to be the fulfillment of the promise that God made in Malachi. That there would be one who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, once again, just as an aside, can I say this? On this side of the cross, on this side of Pentecost, we share something in common with John. If you are in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And as someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, we are told in Acts chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we may be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're to bear witness to Jesus as we await Jesus' second coming. And so I know I'm saying John the Baptist had a unique ministry in redemptive history, but there's also a sense in which, brothers and sisters, we've been given a similar ministry. We've been given the Holy Spirit so that we too can bear witness to Jesus as we await not Jesus' first coming, but Jesus' second coming. And I know, I know, right, many of us will say, but I'm just not gifted when it comes to speaking to people about Jesus. I know some of us will say, I, I can't do the whole witnessing business. But take comfort in this. It's not about what you're able to do or what you're gifted. You've been given the Spirit who works in you to make you his witness. And what I love about this passage is, is the people that God uses as instruments in his hands for his purposes are Mr. and Mrs. Nobody. The people that no one would ever expect, but God uses for his glorious ends. Okay, so we stopped at the point right in the story where the angel says to John, to, to Zechariah, that he's going to have a son called John and he'll prepare people for Jesus. 
Now we come to verse 18, and this has to be, if, you've, if you read this at home and, and, and this doesn't leave you chuckling, then I don't know what will. But this is, this is a fascinating encounter. Zechariah's response to the angel is, how shall I know this? Now just take a moment and, and consider what's just happened. He's gone into the temple to pray. <laughs> he, he's, he's offered his prayers to the Lord, and he said, Lord, no doubt the, the prayers of many priests would, God, fulfill your promises to bring your redemption to bear in Israel. Bring the Messiah. And then he said, Lord, grant my wife and I our heart's desire and give us a child. And then in that moment as he's prayed, an angel of the Lord shows up right next to him and says, you're going to have a son. You're to call him John. He's going to be great. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And now he says, Lord, how shall I know this? <laughs> like, like, it couldn't be more clear. God's not showing up for 400 years. And now he's got an angel in his presence telling him, you're going to have a son. And I just love Zechariah. Because his response is, Mr. Angel, you need to know, I'm an old man. My wife isn't advanced in years. <laughs> For Zechariah, he thinks it's impossible. But there's nothing impossible for God. And I just love the angel's comeback. Be this. He says, I am Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel's mentioned in the book of Daniel. He's one of the most significant angels. We only know two, the names of two angels in the entire scripture. And Gabriel's one of them. Okay, you're an old man. I'm Gabriel. Be that. You're advancing years? He says, I stand in the presence of the Lord, meaning I come with the authority of God on high. You are going to have a son. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Now, in one sense, I, I read this and I see a funny side to it, but there's a really sad side to it. Because Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah's calling was to preach the word of God to the people of God that they would believe the word of God. And here God comes by means of his messenger, Gabriel speaking words from God, and Zechariah doesn't believe them. And so if you've ever looked at this passage and wondered, why, why does God punish him so severely by making him mute for nine months? It's because here's a man who should have known better. Here's a man who should have believed the word of God. Here's a man who should have been convinced that when you pray, God hears and God does answer. And he does things in his own perfect time and in his own glorious way. And brothers and sisters, I know that there's times in our Christian lives that you and I can doubt the word of God. We can be just like Zechariah. You know, there's times you and I will fall into sin and we'll wonder to ourselves, can God really forgive me for this? What was the promise of salvation? What's the, what's the words that we sang in that hymn, Flee from Sin? There's forgiveness for every time I fail as I turn in repentance from my sin. God forgives our past sin, our present sin, and all of our future sin. And yet there's sometimes we can find ourselves doubting it, not sure of it. 
We've got to believe and take God at his word. And, and the reason why Zechariah's sin is a bit more spectacular is because as we'll come back next week, we're going to see that Mary, who's in many ways the complete opposite of Zechariah, she's young, she's no title, she's a peasant, she's, she's a nobody again. When the angel brings her the amazing news that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, she does believe in it. Now, again, I can't help it. He hears this amazing news and he's unable to speak. And outside of the temple, everybody's waiting for Zechariah. Why is the delay, man? What's he doing in there? Like most guys who go in there, they say the prayer, they burn the incense, and then they're back out. Where is Zechariah? And then you can picture the scene. He wanders out. Here's the problem. He can't speak. And so now he's got to adapt and use sign language. How do you communicate to all the people that you've just met an angel and the angel's just told you you're going to be a dad? But it says he tried to communicate communicate to them what had happened to him. And it must have been a hard shift, you know, ending up his service in, in, in Jerusalem in the temple with his colleagues where he couldn't tell them with words what had happened. Like, it must have been so difficult, but imagine how amazing it was when he got home. And again, very difficult. He sees Elizabeth, and he needs to use sign language to tell her that in the temple, when he was praying, he met an angel. And the angel told him, we're going to have a son. You know, my imagination just works in this way. How do you communicate with sign language? You saw an angel. (laughs) Like, do you flap your wings? Because, you know, seraphim had six wings. I don't know, the angels, they look like that. How do you say? And he told me when I was praying that God has heard my prayer and he's going to give us a baby. But I imagine there were tears of joy when Elizabeth heard that she was going to be a mum. Look at verses 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for, four mi- mon- for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked at me, to take away my reproach, to take away my shame among the people. It's amazing. Elizabeth hears the news and then no doubt comes to know the reality that she is with child, and so she hides herself for five months, probably part to, to just make sure, she, this, is this pregnancy going to be okay? She's well advanced in years, but she also revels in the goodness of God. And she praises him knowing that he loves her, he knows her, he's kept his eye on her, so much so that he's taken from her the shame and the di- disgrace that she's borne for many years. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the gospel. Can I, can I say what the gospel is? God knows you. God loves you. God in his son takes your sin and your shame from you so that you can experience new life in him and revel in his goodness. 
In fact, as we, as we prepare for Christmas, Elizabeth in many ways becomes the model. As we prepare our hearts to celebrate the first coming of Christ and to anticipate his second coming, brothers and sisters, we can say, the Lord has been mindful of me. He's known me and all my sinfulness, and yet he's loved me and he's taken my sin and my shame from me in his son. You know, one of the best ways you can prepare for Christmas is truly to rejoice in the gospel. (laughs) The good news of what God has done. To know it, to preach it, and to believe in it. And if you believe in it, you want to share it. I love the fact that God chose for the mother and father of the one who would prepare the way for Jesus a humble, righteous, prayerful, serving couple. There's a posture for you and I's life. Humble, obedient, righteous, prayerful, involved in the business of serving the Lord. Another thing that this passage has taught us is we are to be like John, to point people to the Messiah. You know, as Christmas approaches, it's one of the best things we can do is point people to the one who's come into this world, who's died to take away our shame. So this is our first devotion, our first meditation to prepare our hearts to get ready to meet Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us, the way that you have loved us, the way that you have served us in dying for us and taking our shame and our guilt, saving us. And we want to say sorry for all the times where you have said things so clearly in your word and we fail to believe them. (laughs) Forgive us when we don't even believe the good news of the gospel. So often in the busyness of life and because of the distractions of life and because of our own sinfulness, it's like we turn down the sound on the gospel. And so we pray that in this Christmas season that if there's anything we do, it's that we would bask in the glorious good news of the gospel so that we would know it, believe it, and want to share it. Lord, would you use us, nobodies, ordinary people, as instruments in your hand to accomplish your purposes. And God, we know that even as we've just studied Zechariah praying and you answering his praying, it is a challenging and it's a daring thing for us to pray tonight because we know that you hear us and we know that you will answer us. Would you use us this Christmas as you see fit to make known the good news of the gospel. We cannot do it in our own strength, but we thank you that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can do all things in him and with his strength. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.